about a month ago, white supremacists attacked the Capitol building. And we had to navigate how to talk to our students about that. While we're talking about this a month later as this podcast episode drops in February, it's something that is going to continue to be on our minds, not just in response to this particular event, but in response to all events about injustice that happen as we're teaching. So the question is, how do we address them? And how do we make them not just an add-on that is separate from the curriculum, but one that is an integral part of how we talk about justice in our classes? Here we go. Hi, I'm Lindsay Lyons, and I love helping school communities envision bold possibilities, take brave action to make those dreams a reality, and sustain an inclusive, anti-racist culture where all students thrive. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach, educational consultant, and leadership scholar. If you're a leader in the education world, whether you're a principal, superintendent, instructional coach, or a classroom teacher excited about school-wide change like I was, you are a leader. And if you enjoy nerding out about the latest educational books and podcasts, if you're committed to a lifelong journey of learning and growth and being the best version of yourself, you're going to love the Time for Teachership podcast. Let's dive in. facilitating a virtual workshop for teachers when armed Trump supporters stormed the Capitol building on Wednesday, January 6, 2021. The moment a teacher interjected to tell our group what was going on, it was clear we needed to adapt the plan for the remaining hour of the PD workshop. Many teachers likely have had a similar experience throughout their careers or even in that moment as they had to pivot to address events as they were unfolding. Our group of high school educators had gathered to discuss anti-racist pedagogy in predominantly white classrooms, and in real time, we discussed how we might discuss the attack with students, particularly how to talk to white students. And while our conversation was focused on white students in particular, I think the things that we talked about and the things I'll share here in this episode are relevant for many students and many educators. We know educators are talking about this very specific event on January 6th, where white supremacists stormed the Capitol building. Um, BAM Radio Network special report episode, I think, does a great job of surfacing the question and entertaining ideas from a range of educators. And many, many educators have posted blog posts and articles and shown up on Twitter and other social media channels to talk about how we can do this in a responsive way. And while this attack is new, it's actually not very new to ask the question of how do I discuss challenging current events with students? How do I discuss white supremacy with my students? And I've talked about this in a previous episode, episode six, which was titled Pushing Back Against Teacher Neutrality, covers a lot of these general principles. I've written about this on other blogs as well. I have a better lesson post I will link to in the show notes that talks about this idea of neutrality and centering justice and how do we engage in conversations around this. For today's conversation, I'd like to narrow the question just a bit since this is a conversation that's happening in a lot of spaces and with a lot of different lenses and focuses either on specific events or specific pieces of pedagogy. So I'd like to think through this particular question today. How do we talk about the attack on the Capitol with white students? 
And so I'd like to just share a couple key ideas that I've been thinking through as I've been processing how I, one, pivoted in the moment to address that workshop of educators, ideas that those educators in that moment, in that live workshop we were in, shared with one another, and then also things I've been thinking of since in conversation with other educators and justice leaders. So one is to just give students space to process their emotions. This might be independent reflection. It might be just quiet thinking time, maybe journaling. For some students, they might process through talking. And so giving an opportunity for students to have that conversation with friends, either in private breakout rooms or in a whole class discussion. For others, it might mean being able to stand, to stretch, to step away from the computer or the classroom if you're in person, take a walk to the bathroom, for example. You may decide to invite students to share their thoughts out loud if they feel comfortable in the larger group. Prior to students sharing, I think it's helpful to review class discussion agreements or suggest additions to the agreements as needed. We want to make sure that we're not going in to the conversation full of emotion without that pause, without that idea of stopping and thinking and breathing and reflecting on how we're feeling before we engage in conversation. But we also want to make sure that we have some clearly defined agreements in discussion. And so if this isn't something that you've done already, which I imagine many classes already have class discussion agreements, but if you haven't, you can use the four agreements from courageous conversations, which are stay engaged, experience discomfort, speak your truth, and expect and accept non-closure. I love Donna Hicks's book, Dignity, which is another great source at least it was for me, in terms of naming the elements of dignity and transforming those elements into class agreements to really center dignity in everything that we do and discuss in our class and name that a person's humanity, either in our class or beyond our class, is not up for debate in our conversations or disagreements. I think in a moment like this, it's important to encourage students to speak from the eye, to really center the emotions they're feeling in that initial phase while keeping the dignity of all people intact. In terms of practical ways to do this, a circle protocol is a really great opportunity for students to speak without interruption and to really make sure that we are listening to each other's voices. And of course, this includes the teacher being able to take a step back to have a literal seat if you're in a classroom and listen when another student or person of the class community has the talking piece. Of course, in a virtual setting, this is adapted to everyone being on mute, except for the person who has the, you know, virtual talking piece. So again, number one, really giving students space to process their emotions. And that's what we did in the workshop as well. I had no idea what was going on because I never facilitate with my phone close by. And so we took 10 minutes to just stop, pause, figure out what we needed to do for each of ourselves. For some, it was read the news for others. It was take a, a real break. Um, if they had already been tracking the news throughout the workshop, and then we came back together in the next 10 minutes, we're just open conversations with space to process emotions, to speak from the eye, to share what they're feeling, experiencing, thinking about. Then from there, we talked a little bit more concretely about how we wanted to talk to students about this event. When we think about, you know, how do we integrate current events into existing curriculum for a lot of times, we talk about this idea and we use language like put the curriculum on pause, or this is an important interruption for the curriculum. And well, of course, as teachers, we plan out our curriculum. I am totally a planner. So I understand we have everything laid out. We already have a finite amount of time with students to just talk about so many things that we want to talk about. And it's hard to deviate from that plan. We feel like we're giving something up, but when we think about what really matters, processing this conversation really matters. And 
we can also develop a curriculum from the get-go that is grounded in intersectional justice, that centers conversations around justice, that has the theme of justice in every single thing that we do. Every single unit ties back to justice. And if we have that in place, addressing a current event like this one or like any that center justice or injustice or identity, we don't see it as a departure because it naturally fits into how the class is run. What we talk about in class, the theme of the class is present in everything. And so there is an opportunity there if we build that foundation and design our curriculum around justice at the center to be able to not see it as actually an add-on or a departure or an interruption in curriculum, but as intimately integrated and as a modern real life event that is happening, that is exemplifying so many things we've likely already talked about in the year. And so it's just one more example to be able to talk deeply about, and it will feel somewhat discomforting as all uncomfortable conversations might feel, right? We're not used to talking about issues of race and politics and identity and injustice in school classroom settings. However, the more that we do that in our regular classes, in our regular curriculum, the more comfortable it will become to pivot in the moment and talk about this. Again, the specifics of this particular event may have been unprecedented, but current events that are manifestations of systemic racism and injustice, they're happening all the time. So we will feel better equipped to talk about race and other aspects of our identity for regularly doing it. And this is not just true for our students, but it's true for us as teachers as well. If we normalize identity and justice-based conversations, if we design each unit, each project in a way that centers themes of identity, critical consciousness, justice. I think one of the ways we could do this, for example, is planning with Dr. Goldie Muhammad's historically responsive literacy framework. And she names identity and criticality as two of our four pursuits. To be able to name that in each lesson, we're going to be able to ensure that there's a seamless connection between current event conversations and the larger curriculum. The next piece is to help white students develop anti-racist white identities. It's critical for white students to find their own purpose in advancing racial justice. They need to see this work as not something they do for other people, but they do because it makes them fully human. To advance justice is going to make them fully human. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has said, and this is one of his quotes that is less present in our mainstream conversation, but so incredibly important. He said, the hottest place in hell is reserved for those who remain neutral in times of great moral conflict. I've seen a lot of conversations online about I would have in history been part of this boycott or this protest. I would have fought for civil rights. I would have done this if only I had lived in this time. And I've seen a lot of folks really draw that parallel and say, well, now is the time that you show up or you don't. Now is the time you figure out who you are. Are you going to take the stance of justice? And of course it's difficult. And of course there's a fear of backlash from administrators, from parents, but who do you want to be? That is a challenging place to be in, but it's also an opportunity to see who we are and what we're willing to put on the line because there is risk involved. Are we willing to put our careers and our comforts on the line for doing what is just and advancing justice? Uh, Dr. Sheree Bridges-Patrick says, you know, this repairs the soul harm done to white folks. That is what happens when we're complicit in systems of white supremacy. And so advancing racial justice is a way that we get rid of or address that soul harm. 
and to support our students to develop understandings of whiteness that are not oppressive. They need to see examples of white folks who have consistently acted to dismantle racism. Examples range from historical figures, white abolitionists, for example, like the Grimke sisters, all the way to modern day co-conspirators like James Tyson, who was the man who held on to the flagpole that Bree Newsom was climbing to take down the Confederate flag so that the police would not tase it. So putting bodies on the line and standing up for what is right. And students, white teachers can also be these figures of white anti-racist people in their lives. So modeling whiteness, not as oppressive, but as anti-racist is really critical. We need to see those models. White students need to see those models. We can also create opportunities for students to step into those models, to be able to advance racial justice in their communities through an authentic assessment you might design, again, as part of the curriculum. There is a wonderful video on PBL Works channel that talks about a virtual museum. The teacher uses the tech tool ThingLink to have students create a virtual museum of civil rights movements using artifacts and annotation to really dive into what that was. You could do something like that for this exact event or more broadly about uh, justice movements. You could invite students or support students to design and lead school, community, or class circles, conversations in which they are the circle keeper or facilitator, where they're asking the questions and they're moderating or facilitating the discussion and encouraging participants, whether they're all youth, all adult, or a combination to maintain and uphold those discussion agreements that we, we talked about previously. Or, you know, maybe encouraging students to be a part of the school decision-making process. And so talking to administrators and other teacher leaders to be more inclusive of students in terms of how we make policy at the school level, how we interrogate practice and who's a part of those conversations, how we explore data and who is providing the data, what are our sources and types of data, involving students and family members in that decision-making process at the school level. So we went through Give Space for students to process their emotions, build a foundation for intersectional justice in your regular, normal day-to-day -day class and curriculum. Three was help students, help white students develop anti-racist white identities. And then four would be to actually analyze the event itself. So we have a lot of kind of foundation laying early on throughout the duration of the course so that you can be prepared in a moment like this to address any event that comes up. But analyzing the event Many students might actually not see how white supremacy was operating in this specific attack on the Capitol building. So as educators, we can frame the conversation in ways that enable students to discover the centrality of racism, how white supremacy is actually showing up here, rather than telling them that it is. Open it up, create space for them to discover this or recognize this or inform one another of this. One question, for example, that was suggested by a teacher in the workshop I was facilitating as this event was unfolding was, how would the response have been different if the armed protesters or attackers were not white? If the folks invading and attacking the Capitol building were not white, how would the response have been different? So this is a question that students can not only try to answer, but pull in historical and modern evidence to support their response to that question. There's so many connections to be made, so many facts to be 
examined and explored in that question. Now, teachers could provide sources to help students address this question and and maybe show them, for example, two different texts and first maybe just have them respond with what they notice and wonder. This could be an example such as the comparison of the video of the police response to Jacob Blake and also the video of police response to Kyle Rittenhouse in Kenosha, Wisconsin. This could be a still image, perhaps the image depicting the police presence and response to Black Lives Matter protesters before the armed Trump supporters invaded the Capitol building. So just that still image comparison. Or it could be a text like an article, for example, that used different language to report on any of the suggested events that Kenosha, Wisconsin, or the events at the Capitol building and do an analysis of language use and media reporting on these two events to be able to support that question. Again, the question being how would the response have been different if the armed attackers were not white? And again, just to to circle back here to this idea of neutrality, being apolitical as a teacher, my stance is that being apolitical is just a euphemism for perpetuating and supporting the status quo. And also, you know, that backlash is absolutely real. I've experienced it as a teacher. If you speak out against injustice, it's, it's absolutely a possibility. But to return to Dr. King's quote about the hottest place in hell, the question that I came to ask myself every day to address this question for my own practice is this, what does it do to my humanity if I don't teach for justice? And is my humanity a price I'm willing to pay? So this is not an easy situation to navigate. It is not easy to talk to students and even internally talk to ourselves or talk to our families about white supremacy, identity, politics, all of this stuff is steeped in complexity. But the one thing we do know is that moments like this one in which we ask ourselves how we will navigate challenging conversations with students, it will arise throughout our careers in education. And so it's best to have a plan for how we will respond. Please share all of the ways that you've responded or are thinking about responding, any questions that you have in the Time for Teachership Facebook group. I'm really curious to learn from you as we all navigate this together. Thanks for listening, amazing educators. If you loved this episode, you can share it on social media and tag me at Lindsay Beth Alliance or leave a review of the show so leaders like you will be more likely to find it. To continue the conversation, you can head over to our Time for Teachership Facebook group and join our community of educational visionaries. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. Thank you.